You're listening to the Teaching Orchestra Podcast, a new place to hear from today's orchestra teachers teaching today's orchestra kids. I'm Janet. And I'm Jessica. We share our successes, struggles, and solutions working with the next generation of string musicians. And lift up our colleagues' voices from across the country. Why be an island anymore? Join Join us. Today we're going to talk about the two R's, recruitment and retention. These things are truly the backbone of a school orchestra program. We have our own personal methods and ideas, many of which we've crowdsourced from colleagues, social media pages, and professional development, and probably other places, and we'll discuss those here today. This episode will be broken into four sections, recruiting, retention, both recruitment and retention combined, and real talk. And the real talk is how we'll end this episode, which is both a summary and personal reflection. Excellent. Well, let's get started with the first R. We're going to talk about recruiting first. Um, So when I wanted to research this topic, I asked my co-teacher, Carl, who I will talk about a lot, apologies in advance, um, for what he used back in 1993 when he started in our school district. He built our school orchestra program from 12 kids to 600 before the pandemic. So I know we love him. So he handed me a book, said almost nothing, handed me this very old, very dog-eared book that I think came from his undergrad. And the title of the book is How to Design and Teach a Successful School String and Orchestra Program. And it's by uh, Dylan and Kreischbaum. It was published in 1978. And not surprisingly, it is out of print. (laughs) Right? So I really wanted to hate this book, Jessica, but I really didn't. And here's why. I'm going to read a quote from the book and you'll see what I mean. So... Um, on page 24, Dylan and Krishbaum say, quote, recruiting is a full-time continuous activity. Everything that the teacher does directly or indirectly affects the recruiting of future students. Every time the teacher enters an elementary school, he is having either a positive or negative effect on all of the people he comes into contact with. His attitude towards them, his physical appearance, his general disposition, are constantly being evaluated by all, end quote. Whoa. <laughs> okay. A lot of male-centric pronouns mm-hmm. there. Yeah, a little bit. It's like mankind versus humankind. Okay. Well, it's 1978. How do you, what do you expect? <laughs> um, but, you know, let's just focus on this idea for a minute. I mean, I agree with this 100%. Mm-hmm. Being the cool teacher means that kids want to be there. That just goes without saying. And so... Uh, the following are just some of the things that we've done to be the cool teacher. Yes, because being the cool teacher, being on all the time, like this book says, um, includes a couple of things. The first is, and this is something Jessica and I have both done, be the general music and strings teacher in your elementary school. I know this is not feasible for everyone, but to us, because Jessica and I have done it, the kids already know you. Ideally, they like you. They know your routines, your demeanor, and... (laughs) Let's not underestimate, like, you already know their names, right? Um, So I find, in my experience when I did this, that kids who don't like the general music class's structure of, like, folk dancing or singing or other sorts of activities might be willing to give strings a chance because they know you and they they already love you, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it took me so long to learn those 400 names, but I did. (laughs) Oh my gosh, 400. Okay. Holy man. (laughs) Um, Something else that you should do is be visible. So getting those kids out performing in front of their peers and younger students Mm -hmm. as much as possible will really cultivate that love and tradition of orchestra. 
And if you have school con or if your concert is during the school day, which mine often were during or when I taught elementary school strings, then inviting all those kids really does help your program be visible. And then with younger students uh, in the family, it's kind of all in the family, a family affair where younger students see their older sibling playing and they want to continue in orchestra because of that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about performances in a little bit. Um, another way to be visible is uh, to be the teacher, you know, who gets up and plays for the entire school. And maybe there's an all school event, an assembly, if you will, um, where you can play a solo for the school. My colleague, Peter, who has since moved, did this at an assembly. Um, and my son was in the audience and he played a very virtuosic national anthem on the cello. And holy cow, 90% of those kids signed up for strings that year. And you wouldn't believe the percentage that signed up for cello <laughs> so, <laughs> specifically. So, and you don't have to play the national anthem. You could play the school song or, oh my gosh, play a pop tune. Why not? That gets them riled up and super excited. Um, one thing I read in an article entitled, what schools, excuse me, what should schools teach? Discipline subject in the pursuit of truth. Um, this great book calls music, quote, a shop window to the school. I love that. Well, that is cool. Um, Dylan and Krishbaum give an actual script of what to say and do when recruiting beginners. Uh, it's, everything is just permeated with enthusiasm. It really gets them riled up. Obviously, a script is overkill, but it's a good reference. I remember when I was first teaching, I would script things. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, you know, now we're older, but you do want to have those kind of key phrases uh, in your back pocket. Older and wiser, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, another wonderful book that discusses all things orchestra, but um, I'm just going to talk specifically to the recruiting section, is Christopher Selby's book, which came out in 2017, so more modern, um, Habits of a Successful School Orchestra Teacher. And there's a title in this book called creating a culture of success. And that's his uh, title for the chapter on recruitment and retention, which I kind of love. He does, um, like our old school friends, uh, agree on selling the program. But his take is that it's really more to the parents. Um, he doesn't really think that parents need to be sold on the why, all the scientific-y stuff about why music is great. But parents do want to be sold on why it's fun. And ultimately, I think that comes down to how fun the teacher is, right? Our reputation precedes us. We want fun to permeate every step of the learning process. And that is another podcast episode that we're working on. Um, we'll be talking about fun trips, tips and tricks for group instruction moving further. Um, so yeah, Selby wants us to sell it, sell it to the parents. Hmm. I kind of disagree with that. I think Ooh. that it's important for the kid to sell it to their parent because really who is the one in the driver's seat Right. nowadays of activities it's the kid and a parent is not going to want to waste any time with an activity that their kid is not excited about i don't think i would either although hmm. i am a i am a believer in have kids try things even if they say they don't like them like how do you know you don't like it uh-huh so there's that but i i think that you know selling it to parents only is maybe a little short-sighted on that I, yeah, that's a good point. I think selling it to the kids who then go home and sell it to the parents. Yeah. It sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, for good, sure. Good, good, good. Um, it's also important to get the school staff on board. And with my teaching situation, teaching fifth grade strings, I had to teach it as a pullout, 
which was problematic. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that model. I don't think that strings should replace any instruction, any part of the day. I think it should just be built into the day so that kids don't feel like they're missing out. But that's hmm, yeah. neither here nor that's there. That's a toughie, I know. But uh, in order to get that pullout to work, you do have to have those teachers on board that are the classroom teachers. And, and they'll back you up and they'll support you. Absolutely. So they, they sell your program, too, if you're, if oh, you're really yeah. finessing it. They, they you know, you, you invite them in to be kind of helping you out in that way nice. instead of it just being one-sided like hey i'm the strings teacher i'm entitled to 45 minutes of your kid's day end of story i don't want to talk to you again like no you need to just like you would befriend the secretary and befriend the custodian like <laughs> yep that's you know student teaching 101 those are the first things <laughs> that i think i was told is absolutely get those people on board with you yes and you're totally right the classroom teachers cannot be overlooked because they will help you maintain your program. That's a really good point, Jess. Thank you. Um, We're going to talk next about retention, which is the other big R, right? Um, So we read this article in the NAFME Journal back in 2012, and it's called Secrets of Retention. Mm. And it's a series of bullets about things that help us retain our class. And um, we'll take you through those. The first is work with school counselors. I think it's really important to sort of change the script that music has to be the first thing to go when academics are a struggle for the student. So that can be a relationship with the teacher, like you were just saying, Jessica, at the elementary level. I think this article is more aimed at middle and high school level. So yeah, that's something that like befriend your school counselors as well as the custodians and the secretaries and the classroom oh, teachers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many auxiliary teachers. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> um, big, big bullet point here, connect with your families. Yes. That is something I pride myself in and I am a diligent worker towards making contact early and frequently to build that positive rapport is just always a good idea. I actually used to keep a log of it. Wow. Of every time that I would interact with a a parent, be it email, in person, conferences, text message, whatever, just so that I could see, you know, who have I communicated with so far? And my goal was to connect with a parent with every parent every parent wow. at least once a school year outside of report cards and progress reports like those mandatory things that you're yeah. supposed to like i wanted that because i wanted to say to myself yeah i've connected with this family and they know me and i mean maybe it, try and get it to be like first semester rather than the school but who knows maybe your teaching situation is different um, I did this using Google Voice because that is a really easy way while I'm at my computer to just shoot off a text so I don't have to use a phone. Hmm. So you can type that in um, using your browser, which maybe could be in, in another episode, tutorials on Google <laughs> Voice. Yes, I've never used it. That's good. <laughs> but, you know, we all know that parents and guardians will be your allies to get every child motivated because they know them best. And uh, I, I really like to use parent help uh, when I'm doing field trips. I recruit parents to chaperone, and it's really fun to get to know them. And then they become, like, my go-tos. You know, I think every orchestra teacher, you know, at the, especially at the high school level, I think there's, like, just those 
quintessential oh yeah we have them. orchestra parents yep. that are always there to help and you can count on them it's just really really fun and then something that i do also instead of sending out an email blast or a newsletter to summarize things that i want parents to know i started making a vlog <laughs> which i probably could have just did a voice memo but at the time i'm like well, I want them to see my face. No, and I think I that's good. I want them to yeah. have that little personal touch. Um, because really now, especially after the pandemic, emails are just flooding into parents' it's true. inboxes. And they don't have time to read that. And honestly, do we have time to read all of our emails? No. And so the vlog is something that they can just turn on and watch or listen to or their kid can watch it while they're at the dinner table whatever i mean i noticed the reviews so i'm it's not people like are watching <laughs> absolutely like yep somebody is watching it so i guess i'm a youtuber now yeah so everyone go subscribe to jessica wall on youtube no you don't please <laughs> don't, do don't. We, will, we will not link that in the show notes no okay that will not be linked <laughs> um the, so thanks jess um they talk uh, pliniac in the article talks about on the fence kids and letting certain ones go. And there's a quote that states the following, the kids who want to quit are going to quit regardless. If you do convince them, nine times out of 10, they become a problem. Okay, I don't really care for this statement. Me neither. Um, I think it's our jobs as teachers to find out the why. Is it a financial issue with an instrument? Well then, oh my gosh, quick fix. We can help, we have school instruments, right? Do they not see themselves in the repertoire? then like that's up to us to re be reflective practitioners. Maybe we're not using culturally responsive teaching strategies or, you know, strategies like that to select our music. It's a really fine line. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack with this. And again, future podcast episode. Yeah. But I just struggle with the whole let them go without like kind of a due process. Right. And especially if we want our professional orchestras, I mean, this is very high in the sky, esoteric kind of talk, philosophical. But if we want our professional orchestras to be more diverse, then we have to start at the ground level. Absolutely. And especially kids of color. If they're quitting, we have to find out why is immediately. So anyway, yes, you're right. Future podcast. We won't get into it here. It's very charged. Yes. Um, something kind of related, I guess, would be Pliniac's article states that kids quit when their friends quit. So they like to quit in groups mm. um, or they like to join in groups. So they, are you taking orchestra next year? Oh, yeah, they talk to each other. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hear it. Like they talk right in front of me, like as if I, <laughs> I'm not listening. Middle school. Like, Come on, are, wait, are you daft? Uh, anyway, so I mean, a way to possibly prevent this is a student, having a student focus group and I, lifted this directly from the book by Chris Edmond for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too. It's called a cogen and um, it's short for cogenerative dialogues. And I'll just read for you kind of a little summary of what this is. So a cogen, here you will learn how to set up sessions with small groups of students during lunchtime or after school. There are strict rules for the sessions that are aimed at getting a diverse group of students to help you improve the classroom culture. Chris draws on the black rap culture to do this. The key here is to get access to student voices and show them 
that you are following the suggestions that come out of these sessions. The teacher gives up a lot of control hmm. and the student acts as experts as they know what works for them in the classroom. There is a step-by-step -step process that you can follow to give students a real voice in the classroom. So you've done this. I have. And this, I mean, I guess like the term I think of when I hear you read this is student council, kind of. Yeah. Okay. I called it orchestra officers. Oh, orchestra officers. Okay. And they were elected, but I mean, really, I could have just let them, you know, Because they, they self-select who's willing to speak up. Right. Okay. And so then we would have meetings like once a month after school where we would talk about orchestra issues. And this is a middle school orchestra. So it's like, oh, they want to, yeah, they want to air their grievances. Yes, they want to air <laughs> do this. And so, yeah, I mean, basically you're doing these things as insurance, right? That you have extended enough avenues for students to communicate to you where they might not be comfortable communicating directly to you this is like the suggestion box i see of oh the that's good orchestra room like okay. they can talk to a student i mean you could also have a suggestion box i've seen that too okay um but yeah this is like a really fun thing for students to participate in and gives you a sense of the pulse of the orchestra taking the pulse of the orchestra taking and, the pulse and that can keep kids from quitting because mm -hmm. again they have voice and they're communicating with you before they make the abrupt decision to quit Absolutely. okay i love that um another point in the article is managing your classroom um i think um sometimes kids will quit if the classroom is kind of disorganized and t teacher time management is poor um i've seen kids get frustrated with like hurry up and wait um, I think just this goes back to just basic teaching skills, like be an efficient teacher, have really strong routines. And you and I both teach middle school currently. Strong routines in the middle school are like the foundation of everything I do because it keeps everything moving along. And then kids are less likely to get frustrated and quit. Yeah, absolutely. And like speaking of quintessential teaching practices, this <laughs> seems obvious, but know your students. Yeah. I don't know, like what teach, I can't think of a teacher that doesn't do this, but we have to state it and it can't be overstated. You know, you don't teach content, you teach kids. And so in order to get to know them, uh, a fun little activity that you could try is from responsive classrooms called Rare Birds. This is a crowd favorite. The yeah. students will call me out being like, do we do our rare birds today? Do we do it? Do we do it? And I'm like, oh yeah, whoops. And that's forgot. that's the one where they just like they write on a card some things about them, and you pull that card, and you and you just get to know them. Like I didn't know you played softball, that sort of stuff. Right? Well, you read those answers aloud. Oh, that's right. To the class, and then the class has to guess. Guess who the person who is. Who that person is, and then yes, then we start talking those little conversations about oh, you're in gymnastics, and then. And then I actually use that information later in the school year. If a kid walks into my classroom and maybe they're the first one there, I'll be like, oh, do, have you had any gymnastics needs lately? Aww. And then that just, again, reinforces that, yes, I care about you and you belong in my class. And it makes them feel like they are important to you. That's great. And connections matter, right? Mm -hmm. Which leads us to our last point that's brought up in this article. And that is value all students, right? So what you're saying is that's showing a way we value all students. But Poliniak wants us to remember that we want to recognize kids that contribute to the ensemble in non-musical ways. 
Um, in fact, there's a quote from the article that says, the better players generally stay. The lesser players need to know that you and the group respect their contributions. And their contributions don't have to be musical ones. It can be that kid that's like the ultimate orchestra cheerleader or like a senior we just graduated who on orchestra breakfast day, we do this like everyone brings in garbage breakfast food <laughs> the day before winter break after our concert mini muffins it's all the mini muffins <laughs> you could ever imagine and i get made fun of every year because i bring fruit to just like mediate that anyway that's not related <laughs> but this this wonderful senior literally came in with pancake batter and a griddle oh. and it was hysterical and i'm like we're not supposed to cook in this room and i'm like Fire marshal, please don't show up. But this student contributed to orchestra in being like, she took everything to the nth degree. Any like spirit day, any, or obviously orchestra breakfast day, it was like, turn up the excitement enthusiasm. So, you know, it's important to value her, even though she wasn't our strongest player. Yes. That, it's that sort of stuff. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Um, some other personal retention experiences uh, is something that I do is field trips. I mean, I'm sure you do them too. You do them more than me. You're better than me. <laughs> uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah. I mean, but you know, that's something that you can use as a carrot to dangle in front of students to keep them in your program or to entice them to, to join is telling them, look, we go on a field trip every year. And not only does it get them excited, but it showcases their talents to the community. I've taken groups yeah. to nursing homes and the state capitol building. And I even took them, um, where did we go? Oh, we went to the hospital one year. Oh, no kidding. Like the children's hospital because a student was like, well, why don't we go there? Because the kids really want oh my to to hear other kids, and they are stuck in the hospital because I'm like, oh, kids, that's a beautiful. I think so we beautiful. forget that kids have so much empathy. Yes, we assume middle schoolers have no heart, but oh man, that's why I love middle school. They have so much heart. Oh. They have so much heart. That's lovely. And I know another thing, Jessica. You mentioned this. Um, before when we were talking, you bring your eighth graders to a water park. Yeah. Right? And like that, in the, yes, it's like partial competition, not competition. They don't call it a competition. It's the Kalahari, I mean, it's now it's called the Beyond the Notes yes, Music Festival, but it used to be called the Kalahari Band Festival. And I actually, <laughs> I actually stole that uh, idea from a former band teacher at my school who would advertise that to her band students. Yeah, like, like if you stick stay, with it. Yep, if you stay in band all three years, we go to the Kalahari in eighth grade. Boom. And that was what kept those and kids. And they, they play for 20 minutes and get adjudicated, and then they play in a water park for the rest right. of the day. Pizza <laughs> and snacks. Like, and chlorine. Yep. Yes. Who okay. doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? Come right. on. So that's an important thing, and we, yeah, that's, that's great that you do that, and I should be doing more of that. So another thing that we do retention-wise... Um, is we connect with our feeder programs. Jessica actually teaches within her own feeder program, which is pretty cool. Um, but one thing, um, we, I've visited the elementary classrooms of kids who are coming into the sixth grade orchestra program in the future. In fact, the fifth grade from my community was actually in my building until this year. Um, and we would hear them rehearsing in the classroom next to our office. And my teammate, Carl and I would take turns like jumping in there or playing along with them. Or when they finish a song, we'll just run in like screaming and cheering. Um, and oh gosh, if they're playing a fiddle tune, I've like thrown on a cowboy hat and gone in and be like, yeehaw, see, I'm trying to be cool, I'm trying to be Ooh, fun. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, they love that. And you know, given that we're coming out of the pandemic now, 
um, I... I would like to think I can do this virtually. I can like Zoom bomb a strings class in a different building just to get the kids excited. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. one of my goals. Yeah. Um, another thing that might not be possible for some of you is being the teacher that follows them to the next school. So yeah. as Janet was saying, and she does this too, um, is just like being the in the feeder program. And so um, that's just familiarity for students. That well, and I think because I teach in the middle and the high school, the eighth graders who are on the fence might say, okay, I'll sign up for high school orchestra because at least I'll know one of my teachers. Right. And I think that's valuable. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a couple of things that are sort of recruitment and retention combined as we've talked and done the research. So we're just going to talk about a few of those. Um, fiddle bombing, I cannot take credit for this. Um, this is from a summer school substitute. Um, I used to teach a fiddling class and I took a summer off for grad stuff and a sub came in and told me all about the kids fiddle bombing. I'm like, what's that? And what happens is they learn a fiddle tune, they memorize it, and then they like just find a classroom and just walk in, say nothing, and just start jamming on a tune. Um, it's super fun. They do it in the main office, and all the secretaries get out their phones and take pictures and video. They think it's so sweet. Um, we've done this with Strolling Strings. One time we uh, fiddle bombed the library playing uh, the Pink Panther theme. Huge. And like... Yeah, so we kind of like walked through the library while playing. The bass players and cello players struggle, but it's fine. It's worth it. It's fine. <laughs> and and just like, you know, the kids love playing for their peers. And it's a really high success. If it's a high success song they feel good about, they won't protest. Absolutely. And that actually reminds me of something that I used to do where it was like caroling. And oh, so yes. they would sell Christmas carols and at at lunch and like you could buy them it's like for valentine's day you can buy a carnation and it'll be oh like de- delivered to your friend and like <laughs> you know how many and it was like a fundraiser for i don't even know what ffa or something and and so it's the same idea where kids will buy a christmas carol for 50 cents from the orchestra kids oh. and then they select from a you know pre pre-programmed uh christmas carols and then they go and play for that kid in whatever class, just like you're saying, like in a fiddle bomb style. So it could also be monetized. Yeah. Um, Something, uh, strings festivals. So both our school districts have strings festivals that mimic a traditional Suzuki festival, which is a Suzuki playdown. When done well and in a way that is culturally responsive to your school district population, this is an effective retention builder as younger students can see what they aspire to be as musicians when they stick with it, especially if that high school orchestra is Yes, playing. the high school orchestra being there is like a huge motivator. And the wall of sound, I mean, everyone loves that feeling, playing in that wall of sound yes. and, our, you know, 600 kids on a gym floor. Playing Ode to Joy yeah, in unison, that, like, oh! There's nothing like that, nothing I know. like it. And like, like you said, like, the older kids playing for the younger kids, whether they're family members or just random strangers in the community, it doesn't matter. It has an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I do in my school district that's sort of a combination of recruitment and retention, I feel, is we have sizzling strings, which Ooh. is our after-school pop ensemble. If you've ever wanted to hear, hear Lady Gaga for grade two orchestra, like, I'm your girl. Oh, like, my god! <laughs> we go on a tour. So this goes back to what you said, Jessica. We do take a field trip. We play sizzling strings plays at the elementary schools in my district. Um, and the kids go nuts for the pop tunes. And so. you know you don't sell the steak. 
You sell the sizzle. Okay. Are you making fun of sizzling strings? No. Cosmo Kramer? No. Yeah, okay. I'm ju- I just had to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are on to our last segment, and then this is what we're going to call our real talk segment. Are you ready? Here's mm-hmm. our real talk. Here we go. This is exhausting. What other teacher has to be appealing 110% of the time to keep our jobs, to keep kids and staff members and families engaged who are in and are not in our classes? Uh, And, you know, our positions are, in most cases, based on enrollment. That sucks. Enrollment happens when kids want to be there. So we've got to get them there. We've got to get those butts in the seats because of self-preservation. Otherwise, we lose allocation when you lose percentages of our job mm-hmm. and that's just not an ideal way to live it's not an ideal way to run a program but nonetheless it is a common model across the board yeah. uh, for orchestra teachers and band i you could yeah. argue yeah it's true um so we've both had gif- different jobs in different buildings nearly every year and at some point in at some point in our careers, and that's the other thing. It's it's just very stressful in February, March when yeah. in when class uh, course selection sheets come out. It's just you ne- you are constantly pins ki- and needles. Yep, and kissing kids' butts. Yep, like I don't like that. <laughs> it should just <laughs> you should just be a flat allocation. Like this is the way that your job is going to be structured every year. It's just unfair to teachers and really does lower the morale in our jobs because we're always having to chase down kids it's hard and admin and teaching staff already look at us traveling teachers as a nuisance or disruption before they even know us um so how do they get to know us when we're only in the building part-time i can't think of anybody like you and me and our two school districts and like across the board that's in one orchestra position orchestra teaching job in one school like i don't yeah, like all orchestra teachers in this uh, county seem to be itinerant. Yeah, it's piecemeal. It's piecemeal work for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece to that is administrators that don't like get music. So when enrollment drops too much in orchestra or band, let's say some principals, and this is a fact at one school I was at, some principals have actually tried to combine band and uh, orchestra. Because all they're just like, oh, those are instruments. Oh, there's a teacher. Hey, you're yeah. certified to teach this. And Exactly. And um, my friend who had to do it for a year, literally, they called it a, are you ready? A borkestra. Barf. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a terrible idea. Borkestra, band orchestra. It's a terrible idea from a pedagogical standpoint. But if your admin sees you as only like a general music teacher who can do instrumenty things, then they're just going to do what the numbers dictate. But I will say like, do not settle for this rally for help. Get your orchestra families on board, find other like more senior teachers in your district who can fight with you and for you on this one. (sighs) It's happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In our school district, uh, fifth or strings used to start in fourth grade and now they cut, well, they cut that years ago. And so now it starts in fifth grade. And so there is this kind of attrition between fifth and sixth grade in the orchestra program because band starts in sixth grade. And so that means that kids will drop off because they want to try something else and they really didn't feel fully compelled to continue with orchestra. And I know that can feel very personal and it does like we can't 
help it. We're very, we're in an emotional profession. And mm-hmm. so because it's this popularity contest, sometimes it seems, uh, we feel like it's our personal fault for them quitting. But there's also the idea that's kind of come to the fore um, is this generational difference between parents uh, now versus when we were students. And that just mm-hmm. happens yeah, naturally. Natural. Yeah. Like, you know, parents value different things. And Jana is a parent of school age children. And so yeah. my children are a little bit too young um, for me to fully understand this. So if you have anything you want to add about it, um, I think that kids are or parents are different from when our parents were parenting us as far as like sticking with something. Sticking with something is so Long hard. term. Yeah. Right. It's this idea nowadays where it's try everything. You know, we're going to try this one year and then we're going to try this the next year and this the next year. Right. And some of our schools are even jumping on board with yes. that idea. Yes. That's happening in my school district right now. And I'll, I'll jump in. I will say that this will be the first year that they're offering courses we used to have a, a designated music block they're offering courses um 11 right 11 new courses op- uh, happening at the same time as music that kids can choose from um and each course it has a certain number of points well because orchestra and other music classes year round they have the most points but there's all these other like smaller shorter term classes that are really exciting they're like teen living or like cupcake baking okay that's not really one but i'm i'm being like how do you compete you can't compete with that you can't compete with that and i think as a parent if i were not a music educator parent looking at my incoming sixth grader son's schedule i would say you can do orchestra or you can try all of these amazing things right and where is the idea of you're a jack of all trades but a master of none yeah don't you want to be a master at something and a master is something that's delayed gratification. I think by offering a bunch of little short-term courses that specialize in one thing, we're not in their instant gratification. It's things. just a myopic view. It's myopic is the word big, big time. So that kind of leads us to our next part of our real. We're still on real talk. Oh yeah. gosh, we're talking real. We're, we're talking real. <laughs> big feelings about kids who quit. Like Jessica, you alluded to this earlier. Nothing is more frustrating than watching that happen. Am I right? Oh, it's the worst. So you're I, like, why? But I mean, what's the takeaway? We this is what you've said. It's not about you as the teacher. These are fickle, overscheduled preteens and teens. Okay, so and like you said, the generational differences. We we want to rally for support from our parents in our communities so that they keep their kids in it, but generational change may not that may not pan out so they, they don't want to fight that battle they they think of it as trying to get the kid to stay with something as a battle instead of a character building trait okay yeah that's a good point um so there's something that um when studying kodai methodology john fire Robin talks about in his first steps program which is an infant and toddler course um but he talks about what's called the 30-year plan and the 30-year plan to Dr. Fireovend is we want to raise children that grow up to be adults who do things like sing to their babies when they have babies, um, aren't ashamed to open a hymnal and sing it at church. Um, they might pass down melodies from their own childhood to the next generation to preserve folk songs. Basically, the idea is that we want to raise children to become musical adults and that doesn't mean professional orchestra musicians that just means 
musically literate adults. Right. So that's, lifelong lovers of music. Right. And honestly, if we didn't have lifelong lovers of music, we wouldn't have people who love our music and there would be no such thing as a music profession, there right? You go. So just know that like if your stellar student quits orchestra, they will still grow up to be music consumers and concert growers goers and they'll go on to YouTube and maybe teach themselves guitar or piano, right? Like and draw upon their orchestra background. And of course, the their own babies, when they're done singing to them, they go to public school, they'll say, you know what? You should join orchestra because I have deep, deep regret about quitting it when I was a kid. Oh, can't tell you how many times somebody said that. Yes. How many of your parents have come like, I played in violin until eighth grade so and why then did I you quit? <laughs> <laughs> you think it's so important. But okay. but that teacher promoted the 30-year plan, right? Because now that that parent's kid is sitting in your orchestra. Yeah, I guess we have that to think. So that's our real talk. So here we are. Recruitment and retention can be overwhelming, especially when considering how your job can largely depend on it. We hope we hope you can make it, we made it like slightly less overwhelming for you. <laughs> I don't know. I think we might have made it are worse. still on the real talk? <laughs> Yeah, so gaining support from your administrators and other school staff and your community and families is tantamount. And helping every student feel valued in your class and building a culture of joyful music making is crucial. And ultimately, if kids discontinue their orchestra adventure, know that you as a teacher contributed to their overall success and their lifelong musicianship. We welcome your feedback and personal stories and ideas on the two R's. Shoot us an email and we will respond as best we can. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.